Thank you very much. Uh, don't normally get like a, a breakdown of my fashion. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever commented on my fashion before, so um, there we go. Um, does anyone find themselves watching, is it called Facebook Reels? Is that what they're called? Um, I, I probably shouldn't own up to this, but I like watching people who do silly things and end up in a heap on the floor. Is that just me? Um, or you're all sitting there judging me now? Um, anyway, I was watching one the other day, and there was this guy using a water tank, a water butty thing. It looks like this, you know, the, the, the plastic thing on the top? And he was using it as this weight, and he was swinging it back and forth, back and forth. And then the top comes off, and water goes everywhere. And he tries to rectify it, and he slips on it. He lands in a heap with the water butt all over him. And it was funny. And um, so I laughed uh, in, to myself. Um, and, it's, you know, it's just, it's just good fun, isn't it? You know, um, I was um, watching another one. And um, it's also funny when people try and use stuff for something it was not intended. Right, have you seen those? It's things that are not intended. And so for some reason, I, I have no idea, only this guy would know, there was a bloke who was sat on top of a fridge freezer, kind of balanced on the top and the door that was slightly open. And of course, the door swings open and he just lands on a heap on the floor. And it's just funny, so it made me laugh. And, um, and then there's those people that are using things for the right things, but they're just not very good at it. So there was a guy who was fell in a tree, and he was cutting his tree happily, and then realized, uh-oh, I've cut the wrong side, and it fell through the roof of a house. And that was quite funny, not for the person in the house, but, um, but for me watching the video. Um, and just so many funny stories. I mean, I think one of my favorite ones is a guy on a forklift truck, and he's driving into the warehouse, and he catches the corner of a shelf in the warehouse, and every shelf just topples over, one after the other, like dominoes. And the panic on his face is just hilarious. And um, so, anyway, I don't know about you. I just like those things. And, um, and then there's those that, you know, those try and use it for things that you're not meant to. I, I remember trying to do um, some screws with a knife. Put your hand up if you've tried to tighten a screw with a knife. You see, it's not just me, is it? It's not just me. Um, okay, I, don't, I, I have got in my talk, but considering we've been up and down and all around, I might miss it out. But maybe after the service, tell somebody the, the most bizarre thing you've tried to use for something it wasn't intended. You know, so like not just a knife with a screw, because there's some logic to it, it's a similar shape, but maybe you've tried to use an item or use something for a purpose it was never intended. Save that one for over coffee. Um, you know, when we use anything in, in line with the way it was designed, you know, what the designer intended, it just works better. You know, screwdrivers are much better at tightening up screws than a knife. Water butts, or whatever you call them, are much better at giving us drinks of water than they are as using as a kind of exercise regime. And fridges just are better at keeping things cool than being used as a sofa. So today's series is called The Life We Were Made For. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore the life we were made for. And we're going to look at the counterfeit life that the wider culture offers us. We're gonna look at that we're never alone. 
that we're going to look at the peace of God when we live the way we were intended. We're going to look at the love of God when we live the way we were intended. And we're going to look at the promises of God when we live the way we were intended. But today we're going to start by looking at the better story. We're going to start by thinking around the life that God intended for us. So I'm going to start at the beginning. I'm going to start in Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wind, sorry, all the wild animals, wind animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. You know, to understand the better story for us today, we need to understand God's original better story for us all. You know, the creation story we find at the start of Genesis is amazing. And, you know, scholars argue over whether it's literal or whether it's an allegory or whether it's somewhere in between. And whatever place we land on it, there are some absolute truths that we can pull out of it about what we were made for. And um, so here's a few. So we were... Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. Now, we see that in creation, mankind was made in the image of God. We see that God blessed them, and he blessed them with increase. God gave them a job, a role in creation. God provided for their needs. And, you know, if you read on to chapter 2 and 3, we see that God made a beautiful garden for them. To live in, a place to belong. God created a place for them to belong. And that God walked in the garden with them, with Adam and Eve. God was with them. So humans, we as humans, we are created special. Made in God's image. We are set apart for roles in his creation. We are given a place to belong. We are blessed, we are provided for, and we are never alone. This is the better story. You know, Adam and Eve in the garden had peace, they had love, they had joy, they had acceptance, they had purpose, they had intimacy. They knew their identity as images of God, special and favoured. This is our better story. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? You know, it's always what God has desire for our lives. It's his better story. You know, when you think of your life today, the story you are living... How does it match up with the blueprint for humanity? Of course, we know how the creation story goes. Humanity gets asked a question by the devil. Did God really say? Did God really say that? Did he really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And of course, the answer of Eve is, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from trees in the garden, but God did not say, did, God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. 
You see, there was an understanding of what God said, of the command of God. You, everything else is available to you apart from that. So don't eat it. But the devil's sly. He is a thief and he is a liar. And so he came back with this lie. You will, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here is the fundamental lie, the fundamental problem with humanity ever since. We have believed the lie, you will be like God. You will be like God. If we are like God, we don't need God because we're like God. But of course the devil is that liar and is that thief. And so in that moment, he stole eternity from God's people. And all the blessings on offer in the garden were gone. And death entered the story of humanity. So fast forward to today. And we see this lie perpetuated across the whole earth. But it's maybe even upgraded a little bit. We're no longer like God. We are, we are our own God. We are God over our own lives. And for others, they even believe they are God. For so many people, their story is the struggle, is the battle to live as if they are God. This is not how we were designed. We are not designed to be the God of our own life. We were designed to obey God and live under his care. See, the problem we have is that we are short-sighted. We live as if we, are, we were God, we are God, and life looks okay. Looks okay. Our story looks okay. We might even be successful. We might become wealthy or live as if we answer to no one, which we might think is freedom. However, we are deceived, short-sighted, even blinded by the trappings of this world. This is not the story we were designed and created for. You know, you can use your life this way, a way it was not intended for. It might even be fun and successful doing it so for a while. But at some point, it breaks. It goes wrong, just like the guy with the water butt. At some point, we face the reality that we are not God. We're nothing like God. We might be in his image, but we do not, have not got the power and the authority of God. You know, as much as we try, we cannot add another day to our life. I think it's fascinating that we celebrate as humanity when life expectancy goes up by a year. <laughs> you know, it's gone up from 77 to 78 years. But in the garden, there was no death. There was no death. And it's interesting, I love the first few generations, they lived for hundreds of years. We're not God. We're nothing like God in power and authority. 
So what's my point? Well, we're not God. And at some point, if we think we are, the wheels of life will come off. You know, if we don't align our life to God's better story, the wheels will come off. You know, that could be tomorrow. Or it could be when we come face to face with Jesus at the end of our life. But at some point, we will be held to the choices that we make. The wheels will come off. But there is a better story. God's story. But it means that each of us need to lay down our own Godship and submit our lives and story to God. We need to lay down our own Godship and submit our lives and story to God. And you know, deep down, we all know this, don't we? Whether you know Jesus or not, whether you've been a Christian for years or not, we all know our need to lay our life down before Jesus. We all know the pressure, the anxiety, the cost of trying to live our story as our own God. Making independent choices. Taking all the pressure on our own shoulders. We all know we need God to take control. To take control of our life and to live under his provision, care and blessing. The better story. And so enter Jesus, God's plan for humanity, that everyone who believes in Jesus, who repents and follows him, will be saved, will have their relationship restored to a father God. You know, you might be here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life. Well, at the end of this talk, I'm going to create a space to do just that. Some of you will know, because you may be at the One Church Sundays, others maybe not, won't know. I'm doing a little bit of science teaching again. Um, I'm quite enjoying myself. And um, one of my first lessons I taught was on this, a light microscope. I love microscopes. I'm not going to lie. I, I used to do a lot with microscopes, but bigger ones than that. Um, anyway, this microscope has two little dials on the side. And um, it's got a bigger dial, which is called the coarse focus. And it has a smaller dial, which is called the fine focus. Now, the coarse focus you use to kind of find the sample on the slide. So you kind of get it, oh, there it is. And then you use the fine focus to kind of make the image crystal clear. And you know, our better story, our, our fellowship of Jesus is exactly the same. You know, when we make that big step of faith, and we invite Jesus into our life, it's like we're using the course focus. We've realigned our life. We've, we've kind of lined ourselves up with Jesus. But then we spend the rest of our time using the fine focus. The fine focus of learning to trust and obey God in every decision. The course focus is inviting Jesus, and the fine focus is the trust and obey. In Deuteronomy 28, we read this about blessings for obedience. Above all the nations, sorry, I've listed the first line out. I got over, overexcited. Um, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. 
The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They'll come at you in one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people, as he promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience in him, to him. I think we get the message. If we obey, if we trust, we are blessed. Remember Genesis 1. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. This is the better story. We have a God who wants to bless us, but he calls us to trust and obey. The blessing and favor of God has always been found when humanity obeys God's commands. You know, throughout the story of the Old Testament, we see the nation of Israel and, and Judah go through these seasons of obedience and blessing and disobedience and the removal of blessing. Blessing, our better story, is found in trusting and obeying God, in our obedience to God's plans and commands. Jesus, when he was asked about the commands of God, simplified them for us all. He knows what we're like. And he said this in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Let's not be fooled into thinking Jesus is watering down the call to obedience. You know, simplifying it, making it manageable. Manageable, is that the right word? Um, as is often the case, Jesus does the opposite. He takes the specific rules and commands and takes it back to the very essence of what it means to obey, to surrender to God. See, Jesus chose heart, soul, and mind intentionally. See, the heart denotes a person's center for both physical, emotional, intellectual, and moral activities. Basically, everything we do. The soul is central to the personhood of a human being the very essence of who we are and lives beyond our physical body. And the mind is a way of thinking, attitude. It's the sum total of the whole mental and moral state of being. So Jesus is saying, yes, the individual commands are important, but obedience is more than just ticking a set of boxes. It needs to saturate every part of our very existence. It needs to saturate our physical and emotional activities, what we do with our time, our energy, and our money. It needs to saturate the very essence of who we are to our very core. It needs to move beyond religion. It needs to saturate our every thought and attitude. As Paul in Romans 12 says, we need our minds renewed, our every thought and attitude to be in line with God's. Jesus doesn't take the fine focus of obedience and water it down. You know, quite the opposite. He takes the very meaning behind trusting and obeying God and applies it to every element of our existence. 
You see, Jesus understands faith. He understands obedience and the better story. He understands that the light we can be like God needs to be utterly destroyed if we're going to find the better story he has written for us. You know, if we are to rediscover this better story, then we need to surrender everything to God. Do you know around 40% of the parables Jesus taught were concerned with how we handle money and possessions? In the Gospels, an amazing one in ten verses deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers around 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. So let me ask you a couple of questions. What causes you the most peace? That you fully trusted God with your finances, that you give of your first fruits and trust God with all your provision. Or that your bank or your bank balance and net worth. Do you know the second robs us of, gen, of a generous life? We don't tithe or move beyond tithing because we find assurance not in God but our bank balance. But let me flip the question. What causes you the most worry? Is it your bank balance falling? Or is it that you don't fully trust God with your finances through generous living and obedient giving? You know, if we're more concerned with our bank balance than giving our first fruits and living generous lives before God, then we make ourselves God over our finances and over our wealth. Jesus taught so much on money and possessions because he knew it would actually be the greatest barrier to those that have put their trust in Jesus, living the better story of their li in their lives. He knew it. And so he taught on it four times. He taught on prayer. Because you can see how it snowballs. We worry about our bank balance or we want more stuff, maybe a bigger house or a better car. And so we work harder. We work longer. So we are tired, maybe a little bit stressed. And this leads us to having less time. So we have to cut back on our activities to fit in more work or to deal with the stress of that promotion. So maybe we spend less time reading the Bible or in prayer, spending time with Jesus. Maybe we don't worship on a Sunday quite as often as we used to. Life group is, well, it's just not an option. We're just too busy. Um, serving is out of the question. We find release in the new, not in the act of surrender. We find release in the new and not in the act of surrender. Don't misunderstand me. We are called to work hard. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. But not to the detriment of our relationship with Jesus and his church. Because this is what Jesus teaches us. This is Matthew 6 from the message. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you. Do his best for you. What am I trying to do here? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. 
to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality. God initiative. God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. You know, what is the better story? Is it being preoccupied with getting? Or is it relaxing in the reality that our everyday human concerns will be met in God, the infinite, all-powerful God, when we surrender our finances to him? I'm using finance as an example. You can transpose anything in your life. See, for me, I want peace. But it can't happen if I'm God over my finances. Jesus spoke so much about money and wealth, not because he needs our money. <laughs> he owns the world and everything in it. I mean, he doesn't need our money. Um, it's not just about giving to the church, although that is part of obeying God with our finances. No, Jesus spoke about money and possessions and wealth because he knew we can only serve one master. And that, will and, and that we will never step into the better story if we obey money rather than God. And for some of you, you may not have thought that way. You may not think, well, actually, if I don't, if I don't serve God, if I don't obey God, then I'm, actually I'm obeying something else, even if I don't realize. But it's true. We will obey something in every part of our life. In every element of our life, we will choose to obey something. For the better story, it will be God. But it could be that we obey money or possessions. It could be success or career. Or it might be lack. Or family or kids or sport or friends. Or you fill in the gap. We will obey something or many things. But for the better story, we have to obey God in everything. We were designed, created to live God's better story. That is what we were made for. We were made to be with God, to do what he told us to do, to live in that freedom and that peace and that love and that knowledge that he is with us always and he provides for us and he loves us. That's the better story we were made for. That we fully rely on God. To live in the truth of our identity as sons and daughters. That we live under his provision and blessing. In the center of his plan and purpose for our life. In peace, joy and love that comes from living fully surrendered lives. And belonging to the community of Jesus which is the church. That is the better story. And we can only find this better story in God. We can only find it when we live a life of trust and obedience to the very core of who we are. You know, that gross focus, that coarse focus brings salvation. That can never be taken away from us. 
but it's the fine focus of trust and obey that brings the better story today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our life. So it starts with inviting Jesus into our life, and we're going to do that in a minute. But Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come. Invite you to come. We so need that better story. When we look around at all the issues and the problems, all the challenges, both personally and beyond, we need your better story. We need you, Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never taken that step towards the better story he's written for you, then I'm going to pray a little prayer, and it should pop up on the screens now. And this is just a prayer of inviting Jesus into your life. It's, it's just saying, look, I, I want to try and discover that better story. I want to try and find that kind of resolution back to God. I would like that eternal life. That's what this is about. So I'm going to pray it. I'm going to pray it out. You just pray it in your hearts if you would like to do that today. Lord Jesus, I confess my sin and ask for your forgiveness. Please come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Take control of my life and help me to walk in your footsteps daily by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and for answering my prayer. You know, if you've prayed that for the first time, we'd love to help you. We've got some new believers packs that are just to help you make the first step along that journey. But I want to just take some time now, just the last few minutes, just to give you a chance to respond to the invitation of God to live in the better story. If we're all honest with ourselves, we all, in parts of our life, Make ourselves God and don't surrender. Only you know which parts it is. Only you know which parts that you are keeping a tight hold of. So we're just going to take some quiet. Just a couple of minutes of quiet just to give those things to the Lord. It might require you to repent. And repentance just means turning, a change of direction. In this case, it's saying, I, I no longer want to be God of this part of my life. I want you to be God. And so let's do that. Let's give it a couple of minutes. You don't need to do anything. You can do it in your own space, just between you and the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Give us the courage and strength to surrender to trust and obey in the plenty and in the lack. Come, Holy Spirit.